As we go in the Word this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter and the 5th chapter. 1 Peter and the 5th chapter. In thee I will ever rejoice. Those words which we just sang are great comfort as we trust in our Lord and look to Him and rest on His care. But have you ever thought of how many ways you might fail to be faithful to the Lord? Maybe the blessings that the Lord has showered on some other person would be a temptation to you to be disgruntled Discouraged by how the Lord has brought about the circumstances of your life. Maybe in the past you've known blessings that you no longer know, and now the trials and pains that you know are a temptation to you to fail in being faithful our Lord. Maybe as you think about temptations, you fear lest some temptation would be so appealing and so desirable that you would fall away from following the Lord and go after fleeting pleasures of this life this world. There are so many ways in which we might fail to be faithful to our Lord. And this little series of uh, sermons as we consider the life of faith, I pray will be an encouragement to us to be growing in our faith, to be faithful in living our faith. We saw in our first uh, sermon together, how that the life of faith needs to be just that, growing and living. It needs to be ongoing and continuous. Faith isn't about, belief isn't about being able to check a box and say, uh, just merely, I agree with fill in the blank, some Bible truth. But rather, Faith needs to be an ongoing giving of ourselves in trust and reliance on Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We saw last week how that, as you consider examples of faith, uh, David would be a good example of faith and following in his example of desiring to use the life of faith to defend the honor of our God, um, to be faithful in that endeavor. But given that there are so many ways in which we might fail in being faithful to our Lord, is this something that ever worries you, ever concerns you, ever gives you pause? Lord, what if I don't Remain faithful. 
And it is exactly this theme of worry, this theme of fear, this theme of anxiety that I'd like to address this morning. As we look to the Word of God, and we're doing something unusual in that we're going topically through this sermon series, but as we look to the Word of God, the life of faith is a life which requires effort on our part, but then brings great blessing. It brings great reward. And I think that we already recognize and realize that faith fights fear, but that that is one of the main uh, themes that I want to try to emphasize this morning. Faith is the way in which we war against fear. But not just that, which I think we are are keen to recognize rather intuitively, that faith is a safeguard against fear and anxiety and worry, but rather also that faith fights weariness. Faith fights against weariness. If faith fights fear, it also fights against weariness. And these are all different species of, of the sin of self-reliance. And so even as we might consider the ways in which we might fail to be faithful to the Lord, we need to recognize that it is the truth that faith fights fear and faith fights weariness. Faith fights worry. These truths can be an encouragement to us as we rely on our Lord. First Peter 5 is very clear in its instruction to the elders, those who are leading in local churches, to be faithful in their shepherding. So we're, uh, we're tying together, uh, not, not uh, with lots of intentionality, but it actually happened out. It happened in this case that the Lord led in nice ways. We're tying together this theme of shepherding and the theme of uh, faith uh, here in this text. Because uh, we, we who are pastors, we who are elders, we who are uh, laboring for the Lord in leadership in a local church are called to be those who shepherd not in ways that are heavy handed, but in ways that are compassionate and patient. And to use that uh, authority that God has given to us to seek to be a blessing in the lives of people in faithful ways. Why? In part because we who are shepherds in local congregations, local churches, we are following the great shepherd. And so let us uh, pick it up in verse 4. There is a reward for those who will be faithful in shepherding. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, we who would shepherd well are doing only but following in the example and pattern of the chief shepherd. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then uh, Peter turns from talking to the elders, to those who are shepherding in local congregations, to the younger men. 
And here he instructs them in verse 5, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Don't forget the path of obedience. I think he uses this uh, this language of younger men to contrast the, the, the language of older men, uh, which is typically how the Lord leads and directs in who he brings into pastoral ministry and roles those who are more mature in the faith, but then also uh, because uh, as you consider uh, the kinds of uh, human circumstances that lead particular people to not obey, to not submit, what category of people would you most readily put into that camp? And I would uh, argue that if you open your eyes and look around you that it's many times young men who are keen not to be submitting and not to be faithful in obedience, but rather they bristle under that. Now, young ladies can do just as much in, in, by way of rebelling against obedience and submission, uh, certainly. Um, but Uh, So frequently, the gentler sex, even in their rebellion, looks gentler, right? Uh, And and thus, I think the younger men being encouraged to submit to the elders is a way of focusing on those who have these tendencies, but also by by extension to be including all of those in the church, Uh, Those who are under the authority of uh, those who are shepherding, uh, do so uh, being in subjection. All of you, uh, note the all of you, all of you, and all of you. Okay, you younger uh, men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And here is this great uh, promise of the Old Testament that God is opposed to the proud. He will judge this sin of pride, but there's blessing and reward with humility. Humility can expect to know the blessing of God's grace. Know the language. Notice the language. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time. He is, as we know, verse 10, the God of all grace. And so as we go down the path, not of pride, but rather of humility, we put ourselves in the place where God would have us to be so that we might know his blessings, the blessings of the abundance of his grace. As we travel this life of faith, we can fight against worry by being faithful in this life of faith, how? Answer, casting all your anxiety be up on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. How do you do that? By casting your uh, anxiety, your worries, your concerns and cares 
on him because he cares for you. One of the commentators put it this way. The, the, uh, he, he didn't say exactly this, but I'll summarize for you. The word humble yourselves, that's the command, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves. And then there's this, uh, this uh, participle which shows how we humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before God by casting our anxieties on Him, knowing that He cares. He's concerned. He looks with pity upon us. And so uh, the the commentator uh, quoting now said, quote, believers humble themselves by casting their worries on God. Here is the path of faith, the life of prayer. And our faith will be protected and guarded and growing It will be doing those things as we go to the Lord, casting our cares upon Him. If you don't have cares, just wait. And you will. But what should you do when you do have cares? And maybe that's you right now. You have concerns, anxieties, worries, You have reason for fear. Cast your anxieties on the Lord because He cares for you. Verse 8 continues. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Don't give in to the pattern of pride that Satan has exemplified. Don't give him an occasion to use that in your life. Resist him firm in your, what's the word? Faith. You see here the connection between faith and worry or anxiety? Faith recognizes that God is the one who cares for us. God is standing by us. God is calling us to come before Him with our cares. Resist Satan who seeks to devour you by standing firm in your faith. This isn't an unusual or uh, unknown, unknown, uh, uh, un, untypical, non-typical uh, p- pattern of life for the believer. Verse 9 continues, but resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. This is not uh, uh, atypical for the believer. This is typical. Suffering is the path that God has called us to. But be firm in your faith, uh, even while you undertake suffering. Verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
This is what our faith looks forward to, is it not? We look forward to the fact that the current and present circumstances of suffering and sorrow, anxiety and worry, those present circumstances will not maintain. They will not remain. Rather, God will deliver us out of them. He will perfect and confirm and strengthen and establish us. Because we are called to His eternal glory in Christ. To Him be dominion forever and ever and all of those who are saints say, Amen. Faith fights first against worry. One really interesting uh, thing that I found as I was going through 1 Peter 5 here is in verse 6 when it says, humble yourselves and gives that command, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That language of mighty hand of God is used again and again in the Old Testament. Do you know of what circumstance? The circumstance of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. It was by God's mighty hand. So Exodus talks about Uh, it's again and again in, in the Old Testament, but Exodus talks about God delivering by his mighty hand the people of Israel. Uh, Daniel talks about God delivering by his mighty hand and Deuteronomy again and again and again and again. It's, it's just uh, prolific in the uh, book of Deuteronomy. By God's mighty hand, he delivers. Who? Those who will humble themselves. Look, look to the great deliverance that you see uh, that God is doing in the people of Israel. Yea, even though they didn't humble themselves. And if we will follow in the path of following the command that God has for us, how much the more will God bless in giving us the abundance of His grace in delivering by His mighty hand. Is this not reason for hope? Is this not reason for faith? Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. This includes the future. This looks to the future even. Nothing, including your present. Nothing, including your future. Don't, don't let those anxieties capture you. Rather, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Some of you will have already read C.S. Lewis and the Screwtape Letters. If you have read the Screwtape Letters, you know that one older, wiser demon, devil, 
is counseling and giving advice to a younger devil in how to make sure that the person that he's trying to tempt doesn't follow the Lord and isn't faithful to God. And so as one of the uh, one of the demons is giving advice to the other he speaks of this man that uh, the younger demon is working with and is delighted that uh, this younger man uh, that the younger demon is working with uh, might be called up in military service he says there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy Now, in their case, the enemy is God, right? There's nothing like suspense and anxiety anxiety, for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He wants men to be concerned with what they will do. That's what God wants. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him, the present anxiety and suspense. It is about this that he is to say, thy will be done. And for the daily task of bearing this, that the daily bread will be provided. (coughs) Excuse me. It is your business, young demon, It is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only of the things he is afraid of. Let him regard them as his crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. And let him try to practice fortitude and patience to them all in advance. What would Satan love for us to do? Satan would be uh, delighted for us to be anxious and worried about what might happen. God doesn't promise to give us a relief and help in what might happen to us. God does promise to be with us in the temptations and the trials and the sufferings that he does bring to us. It's not the possible things that God strengthens us for. It's the things that he actually brings into our life that he strengthens us for. Satan would love for us to think about all the things that might possibly happen. But what does the Lord say? Don't be thinking to the future about what things you might be concerned with. Rather, look to the present and trust yourself to God. Cast your cares on Him. Take your current burdens, not possible burdens, your current burdens, take them to the Lord. He will help. He is a great and good shepherd. Luke 12 makes this point very clear. 
Luke 12 is um, an interesting passage because of how uh, Jesus works out the things that he's teaching in the chapter. In Luke 12, he gives a parable of a man in verse 16 through 21. He gives a parable of a man who has abundant productivity with the land that he has. And so he wants to figure out a way to deal with the abundance of crops. And there, there is a worry, right? I have too, I have too many crops. Uh, what might happen if I can't uh, store them, right? And so what I'll do, this man says, is I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones that I may store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, the farmer speaking to himself, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the world's advice. Don't look to the future. Party now. Figure out ways that you can cultivate the party now. What does God say? God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then he doesn't leave it with some general generic farmer who's getting rich on the fields and the crops. Then Jesus presses the point. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. God is taking care of the future. Don't give your mind over to contemplating and worrying and anxiousness about the future. The ravens, they don't sow. God feeds them. You're more valuable than the birds. The lilies, they don't toil. But God, in great glory, clothes them more gloriously than Solomon was clothed. Do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. Seek his, his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom.
This is much in keeping with the disciples when they're in the boat and the storm comes and Jesus is sleeping. And they're besides themselves with anxiety and worry and care. What does Jesus say? Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Faith deals with worry. The same commentator who spoke of believers needing to humble themselves by casting their worries on God also said, worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their life in their own strength. The only God they trust is in themselves. When believers throw their worries upon God, they express their trust in His mighty hand, acknowledging that He is the Lord and sovereign over all of life. Now, that very clearly applies to 1 Peter. It very clearly applies to Philippians 4. We can decide that we need our own strength. We need to rely on ourselves. And the the pride of us being able to take care of ourselves, that pride is the root cause of worry and fear and anxiety and care and concern. But I think this quote also nicely helps us to see that not only does faith fight against fear or worry, but faith also fights against Weariness is a help to the weary because we don't have to take on life in our own strength. The only God they trust is in themselves. They uh, are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives in their own strength. And so these two are tied together. As we go through life and seek to be faithful in following the Lord, sometimes we encounter uh, times in our life when we are weary and worn. Our souls feel threadbare. What is the antidote? The antidote is faith. Jesus is the one who said to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where is the life of faith? The life of faith is in going to Jesus. And what does he promise? He promises care for our weariness. The Psalms say this so well. Psalm 55, verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. 
So the righteous we would expect would be those who would be people of faith, people trusting in the Lord. But it is interesting in Psalm 55 that the next verse continues. Verse 22, cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The next verse, verse 23, the last of that psalm. But you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And and that language of trust, that language of faith, that language is language which looks to uh, what looks to the Lord and understands that He's the one who helps us in our weariness. Why does Paul say that when he's weak, then he is strong? Spurgeon says it this way, answering that question. Our weakness shall be our strength, for God shall make it to be the platform upon which the omnipotence of His grace shall be displayed. Let us run with patience the race set before us. And in our weariness, let us look to our God who alone can sustain us. As Paul says in Galatians 6 and verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Faith is the antidote to weariness. Let's look to one last major uh, section in the scriptures, and that's Hebrews 12. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 12. For the most part, I'm going to read. You all recognize that this comes on the heel of the uh, chapter of faith, that great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. And you begin chapter 12 with that word, therefore. So because there are others who've lived the life of faith and been faithful in their ongoing perseverance to the, in, in obedience to the Lord, because of that, therefore, verse 1, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance. That's persevering faithfulness. The race, and the word race is a word for contest. It's also a word for struggle. Okay? If you think of running and you think of weariness, you're thinking in a, 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 an obviously right direction. But then he compounds it by adding this idea, not just of running, but running in a race. When's the last time you've run a race? How many of you want to do it now? It sounds very wearying just thinking about it, doesn't it? Let us run with endurance the race, the contest, the struggle that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of what? 
faith. And, and that word author is also interesting because that word author has multiple meanings. And uh, I think that author is a good uh, translation in this, in this context. But it also can mean leader or champion. The champion of our faith. We're running a race. We're, we're supposed to follow our champion. The one who's started faith in us and has seen the victory in faith already. Jesus, the perfecter of faith, who for the joy, this is the middle of verse 2, set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. Look to Jesus. Think on him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What is the antidote to fear? Faith. What is the antidote to weariness? Faith. Might we look with faith to our Savior. One word of application as we close this morning. Might we be those who practice Philippians 4? This is the end of verse 5 and then verse 6. Verse 5, the Lord is near. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's a good application. As you would desire to grow your faith, pray for the Lord to conquer your anxiety. In other words, pray Philippians 4, 5, and 6. The Lord is near. He will come alongside. The Lord is listening. He will hear. Pray for the Lord's peace as you remember the joys and needs you have are from Him. And He is with you in them. Pray. Let us be those who by prayer show our faith. May God bless us as we pursue that life of faith. Lord, we are but your servants. And if we do what you say, we have done nothing noble, noteworthy, worthy of blessing or reward. And yet you say to cast our cares, our anxieties, our worries upon you. And we find great hope in this life of faith. Because though we but obey what you have told us to do, 
we come to know and experience the hope, the reward, the blessing of not clinging to our own circumstances right now by ourselves, but opening our hands and letting you have our worries, our cares. We do not believe that we can care for ourselves. We do believe that we need to humble ourselves so that your grace would be seen and known in our lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here, for anyone in the days ahead who hears this sermon, Lord, that you would encourage them to cast their cares upon you. For you do care. You are the God of all grace. Help us to be faithful in reliance on you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.